0: a series. This is kind of part six, so we're kind of on the end. We're, we're uh, getting to the, to the part where we land this thing. Um, this series that we've been uh, uh, working on, it's, been, it's called Starting Point. It's, some, it's a series by Andy Stanley that we've taken some of the points from uh, and Kingswayified them a bit so that you can uh, uh, take some of that home with you. But you can find it online as well if you'd like to listen to more of it. It's, um, it's uh, startingpointseries.com. You can look it up. Uh, it would be worth listening to as well. I've, I've learned and grown so much just as a result of listening to it as well. But the whole premise behind this idea of starting point is that so many of us started faith somewhere, and it was usually as a child, and somebody told us what to believe, and we did, we held on to that. but we never really grew in it. Uh, and for many, they didn't, you know, as, as you got into later in life. You know, it wasn't like, you know, studying the Word was all that important. You were like going to school and, and then, uh, you know, going to college. And, and then your professors or your friends, they started kind of asking you questions about your faith that you just couldn't answer. And as you kind of couldn't answer, you began to doubt it. It kind of chipped away at, you know, what you be- believed. And you're like, I don't even know. You know, I'm not, I'm not so sure anymore. So we asked this question, what, what would it look like if we could just start over? If we could just forget Everything that we had kind of heard and learned, where would we start if we were experiencing and encountering Jesus in faith today as an adult? Where would we start? And so we we talked about some of the questions in the last number of weeks of where we would start. And the questions you ask aren't questions like, you know, is God good? Or questions like, you know, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Those are, you know, fun things to talk about, but they're not what you build your foundation of faith on. So we talked about some of the questions you do need to ask. And because we talked about them, you're going to have to go back and find them. Uh, We don't have time tonight to go over all of those. But tonight is the sixth block, uh, building block, in a foundation of faith. What you build in the foundation um, in, in faith in Christ... It's got to be something that's going to stand in real adult life. So we want to talk about that tonight. And I want to start with this question. What, what standard w- will you use to determine where you stand with God? What standard will you use to determine where you stand with God? We're going to take a look at two of them tonight. So we're not going to make it too difficult. You can pick one or the other. So what, uh, which standard are you going to use? Standard number one, option number one is this one. Let's make a deal. Uh, if you, uh, if you uh, remember, well... This show, Let's Make a Deal, this is the new version of a show that started in 1963 with a guy named Monty Hall, uh, and people would dress up in these crazy costumes and st- and uh, go to this place to hopefully be chosen to get up on stage and make a deal with Monty Well. This is, this is years later. It's still going on. This show has been going on for longer than I've been alive, longer than most of you have been alive. Some of you remember the original. Some of you may have seen this one. This show is so just, it's just crazy uh, that it's still on the air. Uh, it's just not that good. But this, uh, this, it was perfect. It was perfect for, for tonight. The same this idea of let's make a deal. It's kind of amazing that it's still on the air. But then I thought about it. It's really, it's not that amazing because our culture, it's all about deals. That's what we're all about is, is making deals. Uh, and we've, uh, we've made deals with other people. Have you, and maybe I'd ask that, you know, have you ever made a deal with somebody else? Sure, you do it all the time. You don't always realize that it's, that it's a deal. It's things like this. Hey, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. I'll pay you this amount of money if you do this job for me. See, so you make deals with your boss. You just didn't even realize that you were doing it. But we're so used to these deals. Uh, and for me, uh, I have, my sister-in-law, Ange, was over getting her hair cut today. And she always used to like, she used to mock me for this. She'd be like, you're just the king of deals. You can never just do something for someone. There always has to be something in it for you. And I kind of remember this. So today I asked, I was like, Angie, I'm talking about this tonight. I'm going you know, to be able to put myself honestly out there for people. I just need a really good story. If one was the worst time that I asked you for something, and you know, or you asked me for something, and I was like, it had to be a deal. She's like, that was just your life. Like, everything. There wasn't one thing that I couldn't think of. She, she'd say, like, I, I, you'd ask me to, you know, or I'd say, hey, can you uh, tell, tell or pass this message on to Beth when you go home? Because it was kind of pre-cell phone days. And I'd be like, okay, but then you've got to do this for me, right? And she's like, it was like the dumbest stuff. Wes would ask me, and he'd say, hey, would you be willing, because I was working with him, I was a youth pastor, he'd say, hey, would you preach on Sunday? I'd be like, yeah, if you'll do two weeks of youth. And he'd be like, why does everything have to be a deal? But am I the only one? Yeah. <laughs> I, think if we're, I think if we're honest in every section of, around all here, we would say that, yeah, we've probably made deals with people in, in our life. Um, but some of us, we've even made deals with ourselves. I think if, if we think about it, we've all probably made deals with ourselves. Some of you did that tonight. You were like, hmm, shouldn't have five desserts, but, oh, you know, tomorrow I won't have any. You know, I'll make, I'll make this deal with myself. You know, or or I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy... Um, uh, I'll, I'll skip a week of groceries because I want to buy those new shoes. And you buy the shoes. And then, of course, you still buy the week of groceries, right? But you made these deals with yourself. You're like, anybody else? You've, you've done that? Right. So if we're honest, we've made deals with others. We've made deals with ourselves. And I think if we're really honest, we would probably all say that at some point in our life, we've probably tried to make a deal with God as well. Uh-huh. It's like those times where you're like, you're coming home late for curfew. And you're like, oh, dear God, like, you know, I know it's my fault, but I just don't want to get caught, right? So it got. if you can make my parents be asleep when I get home, I promise, I promise I will never do this again. And I, I promise I'll go to church twice on Sunday even. I'll, I'll volunteer somewhere. Just please don't let me get caught. I'll get my license. Like, my, my parents will take my privileges away. And you get home and they're asleep, you're like, oh. You know, but some of you, it's, it's been other ones, you know. It's, these, it's these, other, um, these other things, these other things that, you, you know, you make, you make deals with, uh, with God. Uh, you're like, God, if you get me out of this situation, then I'll never do this, or I'll always do this. And you, you, you kind of make promises. Do you know that people who don't believe in God even try to make deals with God? Atheists, even, even, even them, when they, you know, they're like, I don't believe there's a God, until they get to their end of the rope. And then it's like, uh, to whomever it may concern out there, you somewhere, if you exist, I'm like, I'm grabbing at anything and try and make a deal with God. The one thing that I know about you and the one thing I know about me is this, we never keep our end of the deal right? You like, you promised up. I did it. I tried to make a deal with God. I told you the story before where I cut the tip of my finger off in a farming accident. with them in the hospital waiting for them to sew it back on. I was like, God, I promise. I promise you I'll never sin again if I could just keep the tip of my finger. I was like, I'm not married yet. This is a deal breaker, I'm sure, right? I, I know we think strange things when we're young and in our adolescence, right? But this, I was like 25. So this this is as this thought, though, that, like, God will make this rash promise. Unfortunately, I have to admit, I haven't kept my end of the deal. I got to keep the fingertip, but, you know, I didn't keep my end of the deal. But I I, I believe that, you know, you'd find yourself in the same place. We don't, we don't keep our end of the deal. We want to make the deal, but we don't. You know, it happens, like, you got home, and your parents were asleep, and you're like, oh, phew, you know, and you don't change. You know, you're like, oh, you know, that, that you, you, you you know you're, uh, you have something due for work, and you get there like, oh, oh, I'll do, oh, whatever. You make deal and then, you know, your boss is sick that t- day. You're like, oh, phew, I got a whole day to work on it, right? Or like, you know, oh, birth control came through that time. You know, I'm good. You know, whatever it might have been. Yeah, nervous laughter, right? So um, <laughs> my, my teacher didn't catch me cheating on that test. I'll never cheat again. Till the next test. Right, we we don't we don't follow through with our end of the deal. And yet we make deals with God. And I just want to say that there's two big assumptions that you make if you are ever have you if you've ever bargained or tried to negotiate with God. And these are the assumptions that, that you've made simply by doing that, which we kind of have agreed that even in this place, whether you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus or not, you've kind of made this deal with God. Here's a couple of things that you've assumed, and one of is this that you think you think that God knows that you exist. You think that God somewhere out there actually knows you, knows your name, knows the situation you find yourself in, and he's into making deals, and he actually gives a rip about the situation you're in. You assume that much when you just simply say, God, I'll do this if you do this. The second assumption that you make is that you think you have something that God actually wants, right? Because you're like, oh, God, get me out of this situation, and then you say, and I will do, and you put something in there that you think God would want you to do. Like, I'll go to church, you know, or "Um, God, I will be obedient next time. Or God, I will do this. Or God, I'll give money because I think that's what everybody, you know, that's all I hear about church. They want money. Okay, I'll give you some money. Just get me out of this situation, whatever it is. We make these, we make these deals based on that assumption. The fact that you've even tried to make a deal with God, because this whole idea is starting, this idea of starting faith with God that we can't see, you have a whole lot of faith if you've, if you've even tried to bargain with Him. You believe He exists, believe He cares about you, believe He knows your name, believe He knows your situation, believe He cares, and you actually think maybe He'll do it, and you think maybe you have something to offer Him in return. The unfortunate thing is this, God doesn't make deals like we do. He doesn't deal that way. He doesn't He doesn't actually want something from you. He wants something for you. You don't have anything that he absolutely needs, and yet we have something we desperately need. And and, and it's actually a good good, uh, thing that he doesn't doesn't make deals. So that's option number one is let's make a deal. But this whole thing brings us to option number two, brings us to the big thought for tonight. The thought at the very center of Christianity and being a follower of Jesus is this thought. It's called Grace. 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 You're like, some, I've talked to a guy this week about it. He's um, a Christian all his life. We started talking about this idea of grace and asked him, you know what it means? He's like, I don't know. I don't know what it means. I've heard it a lot. You know, it's a nice name, but it's, uh, you know, that's all I know. And grace, what does it actually, what does it actually mean? You know, the the short, rememberable, is that the word? Memorable, that's the word. A short and, and memorable definition for the word grace would be this undeserved approval. Unmerited favor is what I was kind of brought up as a kid, but it's undeserved approval. Undeserved. We did nothing to deserve it. We did nothing to deserve approval, but we get it. We get something that we actually need. This is not like some cheap yard sale gift you didn't want, you know, like seven warped Tupperware lids that you never needed and you got them for free. It's not that kind of deal. It's something you actually need, and you look, and, and you got it for for nothing. See, grace is is about the giver. It's about celebrating the person who's actually the giver of it, not not the person who gets it. We talk about grace. It's not like, oh, man, I can't believe they gave me that. That is just absolutely, you know, I'm so amazing. I can't believe it. It's like, no, that guy shoveled my whole driveway. I don't deserve that. That guy's awesome. We, We understand when we get something we don't deserve that we realize it's about him. So option number one is you can try and make a deal. Option number two is you can accept undeserved approval as a gift. Book of Ephesians, if you have your Bible, go there. We studied this whole letter, verse by verse, all the way through. It's a letter we learned was written by a guy named Paul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. See, Paul was like formerly known before Prince, and I knew that was cool. Um, but he tried, to, he tried to destroy Christianity, and he almost succeeded but then all of a sudden, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He became the most famous follower of Jesus Christ. And he wrote these letters. He wrote a book of Ephesians about 30 years after Jesus was gone. Uh, it was 65 AD. There would still have been eyewitnesses around who could have said, Paul, whatever you're writing, that's, that's not true. But they didn't say that. They, the, these letters were, um, uh, were there at that point. And Paul wrote these letters to this group of people who lived around this town uh, or city of Ephesus. And he didn't really know them. But he knew that they were followers of Jesus. And so, you know, tonight, when I think about that, he wrote it to followers of Jesus he didn't know. And some of uh, those are here tonight, followers of Jesus that Paul didn't know. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, it's kind of, you know, he didn't have chapters. But at this part, he, he starts off this little chunk pretty negatively, actually. He starts off by saying this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So it's pretty negative. He's like, hey, once you guys, you were dead. And he's not saying dead like in the grave, dead. He's, it's that, that thought of the relationship you had with God, you don't have it. It's like, you're dead to me. That, that same type of phrase, uh, as far as God and you, separated. You're dead to me. In Ephesians um, 2, verse 4, a couple of verses later, he said this, but God, but God, really important part of this. Uh, when, they, when they wrote and formulated sentences, they'd put the emphasis, the things they wanted most important. They would try and move that to the beginning of the sentence. Uh, and, and, and here you have one where it just says, but God. Why is but God so important? Because traditionally, if you were raised in in Christianity, our prayers were usually the other way around. They'd be like, God, I sinned, but I am going to do better. God, I know I shouldn't have done that, but I am not going to do that again. And Paul's like, what you don't understand is you were dead in the sin. You're so stuck. You're so trapped. There's nothing that but I can do, but God can't. And he says, but God um, is so rich in mercy. But God, who's so rich in mercy. And Paul, he understood mercy. Mercy is that, you know, you don't get what you deserve. Kind of a little bit like grace, but just on the other side, the negative side. And Paul would have understood this. Here's the guy who who tried to wipe out um, the church that that God was trying to build. You know, and and he's like, you know, Paul, you're going to try and wipe out the church? He's like, well, fine then. You know what, I'm just, I'm going to show, I'm going to show the world what mercy looks like. Because Paul would have known that he deserved to die for killing people. And God actually, instead of, instead of killing Paul, made Paul into one of the greatest church planters ever. He says, hey, you want to wipe out the church? I'm going to show incredible mercy. And you're actually going to plant a whole lot of new ones. And become incredibly famous. And he was realized, he didn't, he didn't be like, I'm so awesome. I'm so famous. He's like, no, but God. He's explaining to them, you know, I was dead in my sins, but God, so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much. Just say that together. He loved us so much. He loved us so much. And some of you are looking at that and think, oh, that's kind of cool. But you know what? The word us can also be spelled M-E tonight. He loved me so much. Can you say that? He loved me so much. See, God, rich in mercy, loved me so much. It answers this question, why does God care about or listen to you? Why would God even want to be on the other side of a deal with you? The answer is this, because he loves you so much. Not because you deserve it, um, but because he loves you. He wants to do it. This is why you don't have to negotiate with God. This is why you don't even need option one. You don't need the idea of trying to make a deal with him. And something that is, you know, if you've been in church a long time, it may be one of those things where you just got to renew your mind, change the way you think about this. Ephesians 2 verse 5, Paul carries on. He says, and even though we were dead because of our sins, he puts himself in there as well. He says, he gave, he gave, he gave. Even though we were dead, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. So God chose to unseparate us, put us back together by grace, not based on a deal. And Paul finishes his sentence, and he carries on for a couple others. It's a long sentence. And then a couple of verses later, he comes back again. And in, in, in verse 8 and 9, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. The, uh, the, the other, other translations say, for by grace you've been saved through faith. He brings a, the word in there that he didn't use before. You know, maybe he's thinking, hey, you know, I kind of I went too fast there at the beginning. I got I to gotta just make sure they really understand this. You know, they, they just said at Kingsway, for God loved me, and it was by grace that I've been saved. He says, don't miss this now. He says this, this thought to you. He says, um, God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you trusted, when you had faith in him. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. This, this right standing with God, this relationship with God, it's a gift from Him. Salvation not a reward for the good things we have done. It's not a reward for your behavior. It's not a reward for your end of the deal. None of us can boast about it. He said it's a, a gift. Abraham, he took us back to that same spot. Abraham received the gift of, of righteousness, right standing with God because he believed, because he trusted. He didn't, he didn't make a deal, he didn't negotiate, he didn't trade. It was a gift then, it's a gift today. Grace becomes real for you and becomes real for me when we acknowledge that. When we stop trying to make the deal and just say, I, I got nothing to offer, except that I trust that what you're saying is true. I trust and believe that what you're saying is true. That God's not basing his love for you on your goodness, on your good moral character, you know, on, on the things that you've done in your past or you're part of the deal that you're trying to offer him. He just bas hey Yeah, thank God. <laughs> he's basing it on what he's done, on, on his, good, um, his goodness and his love and his undeserved approval for you. Tonight, that's the Bible part of it. So what about the us part of it? What do we take home and what do we do with what, we, what we've just heard? There's two options. How do I choose? How do I know which one i am actually al- already chosen or the way I'm living? See, the big deal for Christians, and I say that in that term where, you know, it's, 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 you're not exactly sure uh, what Christian is, uh, and maybe you're exploring it tonight. And, and for those of you who are just kind of trying to start this idea of faith and say, I want to know what God's all about, the question is this thing we started with this tonight, what standard will you use to determine where you stand with God. Because we just saw how God looks at the deal, how God looks at the whole thing. He's not into this, make a deal with me. He's into the, I've already given um, approval to you, undeserved, not based on what you've done. But the question for us is, we're the ones looking for. We're the ones trying to figure this side of it out. So which one are we going to use? Are we going to use your behavior? Or are you going to use option number two, God's grace? See, most of us were raised in church to think that option number one, behavior? We think that's the right answer. A lot of times, if we're honest, we think it's at least part of it. We've got to do something. Um, and you know, the, the, the part of it is that we have enough Christianity in our Western culture. There's churches, buildings, um, churches, and, and Christians everywhere. That there's this kind of, there's enough of that around that we have a certain idea of what God might want from us. When we think about behavior we know enough people. We went to Sunday school, vacation Bible school, so we have, we have an idea. We're not really sure that, like, we're good Christians, but we know a little bit about it. And for some, tonight, that's you. And for others tonight, that's your friends. That's your family. They're like, yeah, you know, they know enough about it, but not sure. I saw with this guy this week. He says, you know, he's a Christian all his life. And uh, he, we were talking about that. He's like, what does Christian mean to you? What's your definition of it? He's like... I don't know. He says, that's what I'm wrestling with now. He says, I used to think it was somebody went to church. He says, but I go to church. And he says, my friends, I have, he says, I hung out with all my hockey buddies. And then he says, I'd hang out with the church people. And he says, there was just no difference. He says, they they were doing the same thing on Saturdays and just they were in a different place on Sunday mornings. He's like, so I don't know anymore if that's what it is. And we would say, you know, of course not. If somebody just sits in church all the time, that doesn't make them a Christian. Just because you go to the hospital all the time doesn't mean you're a doctor. Please don't try and do any surgeries. Right? Don't do this at home. But that's the, same, that's the same thought. I think, oh, if I sit in church long enough, maybe I am. I, I don't know. I, I think it might be. And a lot of people feel and think that way. And our view has been shaped by kind of these Bible ideas that we've come across, things that we've heard somewhere. So we, we look at it and we look at these options. The one about behavior, we think, hmm. So the question is this. Can you find God's acceptance and approval based on your behavior? No, but some would think, hmm, maybe. Yeah, I think maybe. I think so. And you start having those questions go around in your head because you have some sort of list that you think that God accepts. When you think about behavior, remember how we talked about earlier about making the deal? You offer God what you think he wants to hear, what you think is going to make him come through for you. Uh, and, And if I said, hey, so what's a list of behavior you think that God would accept? Uh, would accept you for, you'd start coming up with some things. You'd come up with some Bible-sounding things, like, okay, don't kill. It's probably on the list. Don't steal. uh, Go to church, maybe. But something, you'd come up with things that kind of sound spiritual or sound biblical. But how did you get that list? How did you get the list of approved behavior? Where did that come from? So if I were to ask you, if you've got this list on the inside thinking, okay, if I did those behaviors, then I think I'm, I'm getting... God probably would like me more than he does right now. You'd have to answer one of these two things. A, you made it up. But you're probably like, I'm not going to say that I made up the list. You know, the second thing you'd say is, well, it came from the Bible then. Uh, and, you know, somewhere I heard that it's, that it's in there. The problem with that is if you live with this list and you live by thinking that, you know, if I, if I do these certain things and I think it comes from the Bible, the problem is that it doesn't come from the Bible. There's no list of behaviors in the Bible that make you good with God. It's not anywhere in there. Not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament, not in Jesus' teachings. Nowhere does God say, hey, here's a list. If you can keep this list, you and I are good. See, in our culture, we still have that thing in there, that list, because we've got a Bible based view of God, but it's not based on what the Bible actually says. In our country, we have people that say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. Sounds really spiritual, right? But it's not in the Bible. It's not even remotely what what God is all about. And you know what? We can hear something. We can hear something, and we can think something completely different. Last week was a great example of that, and I must confess that last week I did tell a bad joke. So last week I mentioned that I am the son of my dad's first wife. And many of you thought, immediately that he must have had other wives then, that the woman sitting beside him is not his first wife, and somehow, no wonder he looks so much like his dad, right? And you right away, your mind went there. And afterwards, I realized that not everybody was in on the joke that the lady sitting beside him is his first wife, and has always been his wife, and only wife, and I am the product of those two, and, and that's all i say about that. But Cover up, yeah, no, but see, I, I just want to say this. All I said last week was, "I am the son of my dad's first wife," and right away the thought is like, "Oh, it can go down one of two things." Can say, "Of course it is," it's Howard and Jackie, or it goes down the thing. Or if you don't know them you can start thinking all kinds of other things like, oh, he maybe had otherwise, whatever, blah, 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 blah. So when you hear something from the Bible, but you don't know the God of the Bible, you can begin to think different things about him that are nothing to do with him. They're not true. They're not true. And in our country, we have this thing where there's enough Bible-sounding stuff, but it's not based on the Bible at all. Apologize for last week. So. We think the Bible, we think the Bible says, keep the Ten Commandments. There's a list. But that's not what the Bible actually says about the Ten Commandments. We think that Jesus came to teach us some good behaviors, like love your enemies and and do good to bad people and that kind of stuff. Try harder. That's not what the Bible actually says. See, the Bible doesn't give us a list anywhere that makes you accepted or approved by God. So if you have a list, if you've got some behaviors you're trying to keep, you made them up. You made them up. You made up this list uh, on your own. Maybe they're words from the Bible, but words from the Bible taking out of, taken out of context don't say what the message of the Bible is. And some of you are like, oh, I don't know, I don't know what to think. This is going to be a lot uh, freeing for you with this thought. The Ten Commandments, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, were given to people who are already in relationship with God. They were already his children. They were already his people when he gave them those things to live by. Jesus came, um, well, actually with with the New Testament and us, the Ten Commandments are only there to show us that we need a Savior. That's the only reason they're there. They're not there for us to try and live our lives by, to stay in good with God. They're just a list to simply say, you need a Savior. You're not a mistaker. Because the Ten Commandments will call you a sinner every time. You know, Jesus came, you're like, oh, you know, well, He kind of He kind of took these like a different type, a different way of living. But Jesus actually made it even worse. He made it even higher for us. You know, we talked about that a few times ago. He says, I don't care what you actually do out here, I care more about what you even think. You think it, you're in trouble. You know, he had a ruler come to him one uh, day and say, I kept all the Ten Commandments ever since I was a kid. And he says, okay, that's awesome. He didn't say, hey, you and me were good. That's exactly what I was hoping people would do. Finally, I found somebody. They kept the whole thing. He said, no, you're missing one thing. You got to go give away all your money and give it to the poor. (gasps) And some of you are like, I knew you were going to come up with that, right? But that thought, I said, you know what? It's not that. You cannot do it on your own. Jesus graded everyone on a curve down. He says, you know what? Everybody is doomed. He says, you think you can keep the law? I'm just going to make it so hard that you can't. If it's about our behavior, then we're doomed. If it's about option one, then we're doomed. You'll never know if you choose option one. If you choose this, I'll make a deal with God. I'll kind of try and be a better person. You'll never actually know if you're good enough. You'll never actually know if you're good enough. You know, and here's the thing that maybe we need to think about. What kind of good God would say something like this? What would, what would a good um, God would say? Hey, there's a certain standard of behavior that I will accept and approve if you can live it. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. You just figure it out and good luck. And in the end, after you die, we'll just find out who was right. Good God's not going to do that kind of thing. Option number one, this idea of trying to live by, by behavior or the list, it, it, all it does is make you self-righteous. Self righteous. You make your own line. Um, you make your own line as good with God or not good with God. And because we just said this list, this thing, this level that you think, if I can get to there, God's going to prove of me, you made that up. So you make this line and you're always kind of looking at it like, if I can just get there, if I can just do this, if I go to church enough, if I give enough, if I, whatever. Just the line. It reaches the line. It didn't start out, you know, too, um, too bad, but you got there. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm there. And, you know, and, and you're like, yeah, I, I can do this. And as soon as you get to that spot, all of a sudden you think you've arrived, and you end up on the top. And you know what you begin to do? You begin to judge others based on your list. You begin to look down at everyone else, uh, just like he is at you guys, about your, about, you know, based on your own list. Not based on their own list but based on, on yours, and it gets really, really ugly. So option number one is you can do it based on your behavior, or you can trust your stand with God based on option number two, which is God's grace, what he's done. Some think, you know, it's a blend. You know, I got to try and be a really good person, and then when I sin, God kind of, he fills in those gaps. But where did you learn that? Church. <laughs> Unfortunately, but it's not in the Bible. He didn't give us three options. He gave us due. In Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, which we've read, for by grace you've been saved. This is what it is. It's only this. It's not what you've done at all. It's just his grace. It's what Paul believed. Paul, who hung out with the eyewitnesses of Jesus. Paul hung, hung out with Peter, James, and John, who that's what they believed. Jesus, who gave his life to prove this thought. That's what he believed. But somewhere along the line, we changed it. So it's A, you can choose to say, you know what, I'm gonna, the standard, the option, the standard I'm going to use to determine where I stand with God is going to be God's grace. Or you can try and keep living a life um, trying to gain approval of a line and reach a line that you just made up on your own. So which option will you use to determine where you stand with God? What you do for you? What you do for you? Or what God has done for you? Which one is it going to be? See, all religion, all religion's the top one including Christianity as a religion, that's, that's, uh, that's not about grace, not about relationship with God. It's all about this do thing. God, let's negotiate. Every, every single religion is this idea of what can you do to negotiate with God? What can you do to get God to notice you? In ancient times, they just killed animals like crazy, right? Kill animals. If we're going to go to war, let's kill a thousand sheep, so that will hopefully make us kill a thousand of those guys, and we'll win. And so they killed like crazy, and it wasn't just the Jewish people that killed animals. We, last week, we talked about the idea of the Jewish people killing lambs to kind of cover over their sin. But in modern days, we have the same idea. Good behavior. God, if I do enough good stuff, maybe you'll come through for me. Maybe you're going to help me out. Christians have this thought, you know, we sin and we still kill a lamb. It just looks different. We just beat ourselves up. We're like, oh, I'm such a dirty, rotten person. Oh, I can't believe this. You know, I'm going to do better. And we just beat ourselves up. And we think, you know, once you've beat yourself up enough, you feel better, right? You're like, huh, I think I'm probably going to make it this time. I'm not going to do what I just did ever again. Until the next time you do it. And then it's like, oh, you go through that cycle. And he says, you don't have to live like this. See, no matter what, even on your best day, you're never going to know if you were good enough. Because grace is not all about what you do. It's all about what God has already done. The do's the do's the things you have to do that's simply just a response to what god has already done it's not this idea of i'm going to do this so that god will notice me i'm going to do this because of what he's done for me i'm going to live this life out because it's done you know jesus last words on the cross were it's finished it's done i've done it all and you know what you find you find this you find why you know why do we love people because we've been loved Why do followers of Jesus Christ, why do they accept people? Because they know they've been accepted. Why do they forgive? Because they know they've been forgiven. Why do they serve? Because they know they've been served. Why are they kind to one another? Because he's been kind to us. Why do we yield to one another? Because he's he's, um, submitted to to the death on the cross. Why do we give? Because we know how much we've been given. And we live life because we're accepted, not trying to earn it. So tonight, to summarize it all is this. The words that Paul wrote are these. God what? God loves, God loves me so much. God loves me so much. It's by what? Grace. Undeserved approval that I've been set free through faith, through believing, through trusting, through that one thing, not any of the other things on the list. And it's the gift of God not based on my behavior. So which one do you judge yourself by? Which standard do you, uh, do you choose to see where you stand with God? See, the Bible's been pointing to this the whole time. Everything in the Bible, if you want to use the Bible, it's a novel idea as a Christian. If you want to use the Bible to base you know, what you believe, it's this, everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. That's why they had the sacrificial lambs. That's why they did all that, so that one day they'd realize that Jesus was the one. And then Jesus died. That's the story of that, is to prove that this is what God was all about. While we were still sinners, he died for us. When we didn't deserve it, it's when he died for us. And the rest of it, the rest of the New Testament and the rest of history from then on points back to him. Points back to him, my life, everything I am. Anything good in me, I have to point back and say it's because of Jesus. Because I know where I would be if it wasn't for him. I'd be in big, big trouble. I can't take credit for anything good that's happened in my life. It has been him when you accept God's grace, His undeserved approval of you, and you trust that that's true and that's, that's where you can determine your stand with Him, you're going to have peace on the inside. And until you accept God's grace, God's un, um, uh, undeserved approval of you, you're never going to have peace on the inside. You're always going to be asking, am I good enough? You're going to keep looking for that list because the ones you have on it aren't doing it yet. And you're gonna, the, the, the realization comes down to this. Am I good enough? It doesn't matter. He was good enough for me. Are you good enough? It doesn't matter. He was good enough for you. And that is why grace is so amazing. When we think about amazing, things that are astonishing, things that are shocking. When you realize this side of it, after having tried to make the deal, we realize that grace is amazing. Because you know what? The less amazing that we are, the more God's grace is amazing. The worse off the more things that we've done that are have been wronged the more amazing it is that he loves me the more amazing that is and you know the most gracious people you're going to meet are the ones who get that the ones who understand that not just because they go to a church building the ones who understand i have been shown grace to show grace i can't judge a single person because i haven't been judged I can freely offer the gift of love and hope to others because he's freely given that to me. So I leave you with this thought tonight. As we've been talking about restarting our faith, as we've been talking about building a foundation that's actually going to stand when you face difficult questions and difficult situations in life is this. A, you can accept what God has done for you and live in response to that amazing love. Or you can keep trying to make a deal with God by doing what you think is on his list. Let me say that again. Just think about those two things. Which one will you choose to live by tonight? Accepting what God has already done for you and live out your life in response to that amazing love. Or keep trying to make a deal with God by doing what you think is on His list. Which one will you choose? Which option will you choose to determine where you stand with God? Because we've been talking about this whole idea of how do we have a relationship with a God we can't see? And sometimes we think, oh, it's just blind faith, but it isn't. These are the blocks, the questions that you need to ask. So I encourage you to do that tonight. I encourage you to ask those questions. I encourage you to, if you've got people that are wondering, well, now you have some things you can talk about. I'm thankful for His grace. For those of you who are followers of Jesus tonight, I just want to remind you how much He's done for you. And to just never get away from that. Never get away from that. Never go back to the idea of, oh, yeah, he saved me. He put me on this spot, so now I can do it from here. You can't. Keep looking at him. Keep living in grace. Keep living with him in response to what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for what you've done for us. Jesus, thank you for not giving up when it hurt like crazy. Thank you for staying on that cross and going the whole way so that we might be free. Thank you for that. Thank you for your incredible love for us before we even knew you. And I know that that's for every single person in this place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what I can't, that, that you'd speak to the, the inner person, the heart of each person here tonight to let them know that they are loved by you, incredibly loved by you, and that forgiveness is an option, is open to them that they would receive that. God, I pray tonight uh, over this family that as we go from here that we would shine for you As we live in grace, we would show grace. That that would affect our marriages, our friendships, our working relationships, and our world. For you, that they might see you. In your name I pray. Amen.